Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. The bad part, I would say, probably for everybody else in my life is you kind of can't tell me nothing. So <laughs> if, I don't, if it doesn't line up with what I already feel is where God is telling me and what's in the center of um, what I'm hearing from him, then thank you, but no thank you. Right. <laughs> Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people. All right. Great show for you today. I just finished interviewing Mrs. Stacy Trot, who is a uh, international real estate uh, attorney. She uh, mainly deals with private equity firms and global investment managers in terms of her representation. I had her on the show because she married, divorced, and remarried the same person <laughs> and had an interesting story to tell about that. Her uh, personal truth, she talked a lot about being able to listen to your gut and really looking at peace in the center of God's will, which is as she said it, but really what we're talking about is listening to that inner voice to guide you. And then in her professional truth, she realized through her journey and you'll listen and get into it that basically you can do anything you put your mind to, that she realized that once she made a decision that the world was her oyster, but it was about making the decision. And once she made that decision, then she was able to, to take off. And we talk a, a lot about the marriage, the, the divorce, and then remarriage, and why someone would marry the same person. She gave some tips on having success in corporate America as a minority. And when I say minority, not necessarily your race, but just being one of a handful of folks in that's at the top of that quote-unquote corporate ladder. And uh, we talked about because she graduated, well, she started college at 16. We talked about just her experiences as a young person on the college campus. And one of the themes that I liked throughout this whole piece was the word reverse engineer. We talked about that a lot and just in terms of how you can visualize your goals where part of your planning process is really starting at the end and working backwards. So it was great. We had fun. Energy was good. I hope you guys enjoy it. Close your eyes and open your ears, and uh, let's get into it. All right. Good people. Welcome back to the True Prescription Podcast. Today, I have a uh, good friend of mine here who's uh, so excited to be on the podcast. Excited She's got to be zero here. nervousness inside <laughs> of her body right now. Miss Stacy Trout. How are you, Stacy? I'm very good. Good, good. Okay. I wanted to have Stacy on the show for a few reasons, but let me just go through sort of where she came from, where she's going. Stacy grew up in the Bronx, went to a, a DeWitt Clinton High School, which is interesting. We'll, we'll see a pattern here because my father-in-law went to, went to that same oh, school, okay. right, cool. and with the high school. 
Then she went to Boston University, where my real father went. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> graduated in 72. She graduated in 99. Okay. She started college at age 16, which was interesting. So we'll get into that. Okay. And then went to law school at Fordham uh, in, in New York and uh, graduated in 2006. And currently she's a partner at Dermot, Will, and Amory, which is a 1,100-person uh, or associate firm, which is a lot of damn lawyers. It is. And she's on the top, so you know what that means, cha-ching. <laughs> and um, she specializes in uh, international real estate transactions and represents private equity firms and global investment managers. So, uh, welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you having us in your uh, beautiful theater. Yes. In your, in your home. Your, your My new, very your newly, first theater. That's right. Your newly purchased <laughs> home. Yes. So I appreciate I appreciate the uh, hospitality. We're neighbors now. We are. So uh, this was this was this was easy. We didn't have to the go beginning. into the city. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Beginning. <laughs> We're gonna jump right into the true prescription for my uh, listeners, uh, folks that have listened to my show. You know the premise of the show. For anybody listening to it for the first time, we talk about the truth on this show. And why do we talk about the truth? Because we're afraid of the truth. Because the truth is uncomfortable. It's scary. It's hard to look in the mirror. But what I found in my own personal journey, which many of you know, and the journey of my guests, when we interface with the truth and recognize it and accept it, we actually have a breakthrough. And uh, that's what we're here to talk about with uh, Ms. Trot. So, Stacey, do you want to start with a personal or a professional? And we won't get it. There, there's, some, there's some stuff in your personal life that I know that we're going to get into. Okay. You can talk about that or not talk about that because I will ask. Okay. But uh, do you want to you do personal or professional first? I'll do professional first. But I have a personal behind that. Okay. So professionally, I would say the truth that I uncovered that allowed me to have breakthrough is that I could do anything that I put my mind to. Mm. It took me a minute to figure that out. Okay. I started the journey. I'll just go right into um, post-law school, working as an associate in a boutique real estate law firm. And small was good for me, but small was also a very tough environment because you can't hide. And ah, so if okay. you're good, you're good. If you're not, it becomes very evident. Mm. So that was a tough environment. And I think if you could survive in the environment that I was trained in, then okay. you've got the grit and the grind to be able to do anything. So I got to a certain point in my career as an associate where I realized that I could just do anything that I set my mind to and I had to ignore other people's opinions of me. Mm. And once I got past that, I was able to soar. That helps me get the confidence that I needed to be able to leave that firm after 13 years wow. and transition to McDermott, Will & Emery, where I'm one of a few Black female capital partners there. So That's amazing. It's an amazing platform, and I brought over an international global client, and it's been an amazing journey. I'm very happy to be there. What did you make your mind up about that caused that transition? So you, you realize, oh, if I, make, if I make up my mind about something, I can do it. Give us a story about a situation maybe where you finally realize, oh, I just need to make a decision and then the the world is open to me. Well, it's interesting. So at my firm, I was working for this same client that I brought over that has grown into this beast of a client that I'm representing. And as probably a fourth or fifth associate, working on transactions outside of the U.S. was something that was new in my firm. And so I was working for this client doing transactions in Europe and Asia. Mm. And a lot of the people that I worked for thought, oh, this isn't really that good. Or, oh, you're not really getting the experience you need. And there was just a lot of criticism and kind of poo-pooing of what I was doing. Mm. But I thought I was getting great skills and I enjoyed the clients and I enjoyed the work and I thought it was interesting and complex. And so I just kept saying yes to the client Mm. and kind of ignored what was being said about me. 
And it grew to the place where the client kept asking for me and I kept doing it and I was growing. And then before you knew it, I had this specialty and expertise that no one realized was what it was. And so... Mm. It felt right to me. I enjoyed it. And so I ignored what other people were saying. And I kind of, that was probably the beginning of, in my professional career, trusting my instincts. Mm, Um, My gut was guiding me. (laughs) (laughs) Or I would really say God was guiding me. But at the time, my gut was guiding me. That was hard because when you're an associate, the partner's are the wiser, older, more mature. And so their criticism can really kind of cause you to rethink what you're thinking about yourself. And so I went through a journey around that. And once I realized that nobody else really knows what they're talking about, (laughs) (laughs) I was able to push past their opinions and just do what felt right and was natural for me. And it took me places that I never thought I would be. It's interesting. So basically, like, you were doing this sort of specialized niche thing and people were telling you, hey, you just got out of school. You need to have a broader, you know, depth of understanding about all these different things. Correct. Yeah, I can I can see that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was in med school, one of my mentors told me that whatever you go into, whatever it is, make sure you specialize. Hmm. Because once you specialize, then you're in a, basically you're, you're, mm-hmm. a, you're a man or a woman on your own island and mm-hmm. then you can kind of call your shots. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I didn't listen to that and went to emergency medicine where we do everything. But okay. anyway, <laughs> I think it was, it was yeah. smart for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, talk about the personal. So I thought about this one before you got here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the personal, surprisingly, is more easy for me than the professional. And that's because you went there. So we can just go there. Yeah, let's go there. Um, let's just go there. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I was married, divorced, and remarried to the same, same man. Same person. Same wow. man. Well, he's a different man now. But yeah, same right. same person with the same name. Right. You, um, hate, you hate your ex. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. We both <laughs> like to joke that we hate our ex-husband <laughs> and ex-wife. So in the process of going through that journey, yeah. I learned that there was peace in the center of God's will for my life. That Mm. was my breakthrough, really just following the thing that I really felt was where God was calling me. And that was another one where I didn't listen to what everybody was saying. (laughs) And as a result of not listening, I got to exactly where or I'm on the journey of exactly the path that I believe that God has for me. And there was a breakthrough to get to the place where it was like, okay, God, it's just going to be me and you. That was lonely. It was isolating, but necessary for the process that God was taking me through. And it reminds me of a word that I had gotten from this preacher that came to my church. And she didn't go to my church. And so when she came, I was like, I want something. And she doesn't know me and doesn't know what I'm going through. So if she gives me something and it's accurate, then I'm going to know this isn't like someone trying to give me their opinion. This is going to be God. And one of the things that she said when it was my turn was she said that God was telling her for me that he had me in a dark room like um, how you develop um, photographs. Sure. And he was developing me in the dark and that it was isolating and that it was dark and that he had locked the door that I to the room that I was in and I couldn't get out even if I wanted to. And that was the mm. first time someone had given mm. words to what I was feeling. I felt like I had to do this journey the way that I was doing it and I couldn't get out of it. And I just had to do it and it was alone and it was dark. And so when she said that, I was like, oh, my God, finally, like I'm not going crazy. (laughs) It's kind of how I felt. So my breakthrough was that I had to listen to where I felt the voice of God was coming from in my life. And now that's the thing that guides me. And um, I grew up in church, so I had always kind of heard and understood, but not really 
it was like in my head, but not my heart, kind of, yeah. I guess is what I was saying. Absolutely. The mind is, yeah, go ahead. We'll <laughs> it was all, it. yeah, it was all in up here and not in here. And right. as a result of going through this journey, it got on the inside. Yeah. And so the good thing in that for me is it's on the inside now. And so I'm very clear. Mm. The bad part, I would say, probably for everybody else in my life is you kind of can't tell me nothing. So <laughs> if I don't, if it doesn't line up with what I already feel is where God is telling me and what's in the center of um, what I'm hearing from him, then thank you, but no thank you. Right. <laughs> it's interesting because both of your personal and professional are sort of rooted in this idea of... I got this. <laughs> I got this. And also sort of separating outside noise from gut. Yes. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier, but uh, to me, gut is God, like mm-hmm. in my sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Our mind, a lot of us are into, you know, you're, you're very smart. You know, I went to medical school. I've, I've got, a, you know, some brains up there. Mm-hmm. But I've often found that my greatest breakthroughs are when I just turn the brain off yeah. because the brain is was given to us by God to make calculations, mm-hmm. right? This plus this equals this, mm-hmm. you know, to figure things out. Mm-hmm. But in terms of that intuitive nature, yes. I think, that's where, if we can really get in touch with that, yes. that's where he's at. He's yes. in the quiet, in, yes. in, in, you know, in our minds. Yes. So yeah. that's good. I, well, I, I want to backtrack on something you said. You said that the woman, the, the preacher said that you were in a dark room, mm-hmm. right? So that was her explanation of it for, for you. But mm-hmm. in real life, what did that mean for you? Were you, obviously you guys were going through a divorce. Was this after the divorce was over? Was this... In a reconciliation period, like what does what does that mean? I was in a dark room. So the dark room was for me, I think, the entire process. Okay. But what I would say is, it's funny. At the time that I had this, I guess, moment with her, I was we were, I think, already remarried, and it was okay. the reconciliation was harder than I anticipated. Mm. While we were apart, and I got clear that what was in my future was him. And then had to figure out, okay, God, now how do I get there? What do I do? What does that look like? And the instruction that I got from God was to pray for him every day, which Mm. when I heard that, I was like, really? I don't want to do that. Felt like it was a sacrifice of time that he didn't deserve. Mm. Preach. And I, I, yeah, and I said that to God. I was (laughs) like, um, I'm like, really? Like, this is just not fair. Yeah. This is not worthy. He's not worthy of this time. Yeah. And the sacrifice. And I heard God say back to me, I did it for you. Mm. I did it for you. Okay. And that was the first time in my life where I really had a clear understanding of what it was with Christ and the cross, the sacrifice sacrifice. that was made when I didn't deserve it and I wasn't worthy and he did it for me and he went first. Yeah. And so then I said, okay, I get it. I get what it's like to be in a position where you're seemingly unworthy and yet you're still worth it. Unworthy, but worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I did the praying. And so to make sure that I did it, I prayed every day for him in the shower. Okay, so I'm like, right. shower every day? Shower, right. Yeah, so yeah. I just married that together. And I did that. And over a six-month journey, which I didn't know how long it was going to be, my heart changed. Mm. And I stopped being so angry. Yeah. And I t- stopped being a victim. Mm. And I oh, turned yeah. into becoming very um, clear about what I wanted and what God was going to do and I really came to understand the purpose of prayer in a way that I never did. And so it transformed me. And then we crossed paths, then we talked, and I had been keeping from him that I was praying for him. I didn't want him to know that I was praying because I thought that would just extend the time. (laughs) (laughs) You start fighting against it. Yeah, right. I was fighting against it, it, right. right. Or that he would just think, okay, great. So she's waiting. So now I don't have to work on myself. I don't have to change because she's waiting. She's preserving herself and she's waiting and that's, you know. 
But part of my journey was learning to trust God and not be afraid. And so we sat down for dinner and I told him that I was praying for him and that I was waiting for God to restore us. And to my surprise, that was the thing that allowed him to take the next step that he needed in his journey, which was to quit his job. And he went away to a program in Kentucky, which was basically getting the world to shut down. No phones, no TV, no, just quiet, no media. And during that process, he was able to kind of hit reset. And when he came back home, he got remarried. And then it got mm. very hard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And then it got yes. very hard. And then yes. before, you know, we were talking about divorce again. And I was yeah. like, I cannot believe that we're here. Right. And so I went through a, I got, I got to the point where I was on the phone with the divorce lawyer. Wow. And I didn't want to hear what he was telling me. And I sat on my couch and I said, okay, God, I don't know what to do because I do not like what's behind either door. I heard God say to me, did I ask you to do anything? And I said, (laughs) I said, okay, I had gotten to this place where I was like, I have to at least talk to God about whatever it is I'm thinking and feeling and see what I hear. And I feel a response. And I heard, did I ask you to do anything? And so then I thought, okay, wait a minute. No, you didn't ask me to do anything, but I have to figure this out. And he said, then do nothing. And then I, for the first time in my life, it was like, you've got a problem and it's not your job to solve it. And so I never, that was like a new radical, <laughs> I'm a solver, I'm a fixer, right. I'm a doer. You get it done. Yeah. And so as a result of that, though, I received all this peace because I stopped trying to control every aspect of what was going to happen. Mm. And I think in the letting go of controlling the outcome is where I left room for my husband to grow. I left room for God to work. I left room for things to kind of evolve organically. Yeah. And then- Almost instantly, our relationship started getting better. And the only thing that I could point it back to was that moment on the couch when I said, okay, I'll do nothing. And right. I stopped trying to control the outcome. Let go. And then, the, yeah, let go. And there was room for it to become God's marriage and not mine. Because mm. like 2.0 was going to be nothing like 1.0. And I was so determined that 2.0 wasn't going to be like 1.0 that I was creating a box for both of us to live in. Yeah, that, you were so determined one of my guests, Damian Lemon, was actually my cousin, but he's a, a comedian. He he said something when I interviewed him, which was, people are so scared to, to die, they're afraid to live. Yes. And that's what, yes. that's essentially what you're saying, yes. that, yes. you know, you were like, so yes. it's not going to happen, it's not yes. going to happen, yes. it's not going to happen, you stifling everything. Unknowingly. Of course, of course. These are, these are yeah. all just, like, all, yeah. you know, automatic things we do. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two important points. One thing for the listeners to pay attention to is when you wanted to change, you basically reprogrammed your mind and Mm. the way you did that was in the shower every day praying for him but it's that you're praying for I don't know exactly what you were praying for but you said that you started to calm down you felt like less of a victim the important thing for you guys to listen to is that the first thing it took six months and then the second thing it was consistent and so how do you do that she told you how she did it she married it with something that she does every day anyway right a lot of times it's difficult for us to be consistent with things, mm-hmm. but that's a great tip mm-hmm. to do it in conjunction with something you're going to do. You're already doing. Brushing right. your teeth, right. you know, driving to work, whatever yep. it is, yep. co- combine it. And you basically change your thinking around a situation by concentrating, praying, and doing it consistently. So that's great. There's a guy named Hal Elrod. talks about something similar, but it's basically uh, affirmations. You know, it's, mm. it's similar. A prayer, a prayer is essentially an affirmation, Right. Essentially, essentially, <laughs> essentially. I mean, you I can, like you, to say prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation with God. You could argue when you're making a statement 
and you're in a certain space mm-hmm. that you're talking to your higher self. You're talking mm-hmm. to your spirit. You're talking to, to God. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I, won't, yeah, yeah. I won't argue that. <laughs> I won't argue that. I never thought about it that way, though. So I like that crystallization. Yeah, yeah. That I changed yeah, so. my mindset. Yeah, you com- you completely you completely changed. But the point is, we come here with these, well, I say we come here with these programs, but over time, as we yes. grow through our journey, yes. we get these programs in our head, and they've been there for years, yes. right? So to think you're going to change in a week is just not going to happen, right? It's going to require some sustained commitment from you yeah. to do it. Yeah. And um, I've experienced that in my life, and you have as well, so mm-hmm. it's great for the listeners. Okay, let's go into these questions. Okay. I got a couple questions for you. Since we were talking about the marriage, let's, mm-hmm. let's just I'll just ask my yeah, question cool. about that. So interesting statistic. Well, let me ask you to see if you know this. What do you think the percentage of people that get divorced remarry somebody else, somebody different? That's funny. I've never thought about looking that up. Okay. I have heard of a few instances. Mm-hmm. And when we went to get our marriage license the second time, the woman said she does see it quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it's usually much older couples. So okay. like they were married, they divorced, they had whole separate lives, kids, families. And then found each other again. And I actually thought that's what was going to happen with us. Okay. I've never looked at the statistics, so you're asking me to guess? Yeah, just guess. Somebody different, not not the same person. Somebody oh, different. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. somebody different. Oh, I thought like like me. I was person. I was married before and oh. I got and I got married again. Oh, I would think 80, 90% of people okay. that get divorced get remarried. So within yeah. 10 years, it's, it's, it's 80%. Okay. I don't know. Now, the percentage of, yeah, and no, it was great. <laughs> now, the percentage of people that marry the same person, what do you think that so is? So that's the question I thought you were asking. Um, the same <laughs> like person, you. I would say that's lower. Yeah. I want to say maybe 30, 40%. A 10%. Oh, wow. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. So, uh, I was giving you, a little more credit. You're, uh, okay. you're a rarity okay. in various aspects of your life. Okay. So May 28th, 2011, you got married for the first time. That was number one, yeah. Fantastic images online, by okay, the way. Okay, you found I mean, those. Yes, yeah, just uh, regal, <laughs> regal. Yeah, we did do know. something more elegant than I yeah. even initially envisioned. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, well done. Mm-hmm. It was well done. But I learned that it's not about the day. <laughs> Who are you telling? Please. <laughs> like none of that matters. Please. And not that I thought it was super important, but yeah. and I'm glad I experienced it, but... yeah. If you got to pick between the day and the marriage, pick the marriage. Yeah. Hands down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you get so, uh, women tend to more than men get consumed with the planning. Yes. Like as soon as you get the ring, then it's like, okay, forget about you now. Let me just plan this day. <laughs> it's about me and my girls and the planner. Like it's just a whole thing. Right, right. And, you know, the average is like um, a year. So for a year, you're consumed with planning for this one day. Yeah. And that year really should be used to really dig in and make sure that this is what we should do. Mm-hmm. No, agree. <laughs> Premarital counseling, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, really dealing, getting a good infrastructure for when it gets hard on the other side, because it will. Yeah. But people don't talk about that. So, no. There's a lot of things people, I think they should, <laughs> you know, we met with um, a pastor. We had four sessions with a pastor leading up, and uh, it was fantastic. We had homework assignments and the whole thing. I thought it was great. I didn't do that the first time I got married. Yeah. And, four uh, sessions is like nothing. What'd you say? Four sessions is like nothing. No. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, yeah. it was basically like once every two months. Yeah. It's hardly know? an infrastructure to build on. Yeah. It's, it's not, it like, wasn't, yes. It's like preschool and you got right. like way more levels to go through. But the thing is, it, it puts certain things in yes. your mind that yes. you uh, uh, normally wouldn't think about. Like he was asking us stuff like, well, how many kids do you want to have? How many kids? It's like, like we stuff we never that. talk about. Right. You know, <laughs> it's an important conversation. Right. 
Right. Right? Because we talked about one. So I was like one and my wife was like three. Oh my God. I was like, oh, You're okay. Like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh. Guess we oh, got to talk when we yeah, leave. Yeah. Yeah. We got a difference there. Right. Um, you know, who who should be in charge of the money? Like things that we didn't talk about. Well, that's not fun when you're dating. Yeah. No. That's not fun. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> right. But to your point, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's about after the that, that wedding day. I didn't have this question written down, but I wanted to ask you this. Your second wedding, how was it different than the first? It was in my pastor's office. Okay. We found out the day before. Found out um, the day before what? The day before we got remarried. So right. he, he, my husband came home. We graduated from this program. He slept on my couch for a week and we were waiting to see if my pastor would agree to remarry us. Okay. Because we have been through so much sure. and there was so much resistance yeah. to us being remarried. Yeah. That and it had to be your pastor. That was my preference, okay. and that was also his. And it's interesting because my pastor took us out for dinner somewhere during those seven days before we got remarried. And he said to us, and George answered first, I didn't like his answer, but it turned out to be a really good one. Um, he said, if I won't remarry you, will you guys just go to the Justice of the Peace and get remarried? Yeah. And my husband said, no, well, if you won't remarry us, then we have to figure out why you won't. And it was him basically saying, I'm submitting to your leadership as my pastor. And so if you think there's a reason not to, then I need to heavily consider that. Mm. So he had to kind of go into his prayer closet and he went to one of his spiritual leaders and talked it through with him to see if this was something he should do. And he called us on Saturday and said, I'll remarry you tomorrow after church. Wow. (laughs) So we were kind of in a limo place. So I happened to have a dress. In my closet, that was just, you know, something nice, but, yeah. you know. The white, uh, no, 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 no. Very, uh, no. the sequence with the flowers <laughs> no, and all no, that thing no, you had no, on. No, uh, no. It, was beautiful. It, was, it was a beautiful dress and um, it was elegant. I did my own makeup and we got married and, and it was beautiful. And there was about 10 people in his office and it was kind of like... Here we go. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so it was, it was. Was there anybody there that was against it in yeah. the office? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say my mom sat there with her arms crossed and there's a picture that got her in a shot with her arms yeah. crossed. And my family was just very um, resistant to wanting yeah, to see course. me go through what I had been through. And so, yeah. but here I am five years later and my yeah. mom lives with us. Great. She takes care of my son. She loves my husband. Great. So... Through God, all things are possible. Yeah. But it was a real journey. Um, so the second one was different. And, you know, I have no opinion on whether people do the small justice of the peace or the big wedding. I just think the most important thing is to be clear that neither of neither is important. So I think right. whichever one you do, you kind of feel like if you do the big thing, you're like, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. If you don't, you feel like, oh, I'm missing out. I never got the experience. So I think it's kind of cool to have done the small, intimate, and then the, the large and Someday I think we'll renew our vows Okay. because I think it'll just be cool to do something different and it will mean something different than both of the prior ones. Sure. So my question was, since you're in the 10%, mm-hmm. why do people remarry the same person? In my case, he's a different person because he did the work. But I will say that I believe that when you stand before that altar and you say the words and the vows that mm-hmm. God really unites you spiritually and the yeah. two become one. Sure. And so I had a hard time feeling not married after I was divorced. I would be home and just thinking about him in this way that was painful. And every time that I did, I would look down and there was a text or an email or a missed call. 
And even when I was avoiding him, it would be in my spam. And it wasn't just that he was trying to contact me. It was always at the most painful moments. And I started to think there's something more here than just I miss him. Like there's a connection here that Mm -hmm. I can't really break. And so despite the fact that I had this piece of paper that said I was divorced, I still felt very much married. And so then I so then I went in and I said, God, okay, I can't live like this. So what do you want me to do? And that's when I heard pray for him daily. And I was like, I okay. Okay. So you're gonna restore us. This is coming, but I don't know how, like what steps to take. I couldn't control it. So it was frustrating because like if you tell me the path, right? I want to go to law school. Okay. I know I Do can this, reverse right, engineer right, into right. that. I want to work at a law firm. I can reverse engineer into that. This was like, I want restoration. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Couldn't figure out how to uh-uh. reverse engineer into yeah. that. And so it became this thing where God was really teaching me that while you're smart and I designed you that way, you're not going to be able to get to where you really want to be if you don't let me lead you. Yeah. And that was a hard process. So, so um, you didn't you didn't date at all in between the marriages. I, I felt like I couldn't. You felt like you couldn't. I still so felt married. So interesting. I still felt married. I actually, while I was separated and not yet divorced, I was like, I'm still married. So I felt like that was a no. <laughs> and then after I got divorced, I was depressed and I was yeah. grieving the loss of the relationship. Did you initiate? Were you the plaintiff? Did you initiate? I was. Yes, okay. I did. I was kind of like God, like. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to do it. And I like, I'm going to do this because I don't know what else to do. I was still trying to control, control and now yeah. call me. Yeah. Right. I have control issues if you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the first time I can really admit that. Well, it's yeah. hard. I mean, if you think about it, you live your whole life on this thing where, and, I, and I'm guilty of this mm-hmm. as well, where anytime you see something you want, you, can you go set for up it. the plan yes. and you go for yes. it. And the large percent of the time you, you succeed, get there. Correct. right? But Correct. matters of the heart are not like that. Well, marriage was the first time I felt like I really failed in life. Mm. And that was hard because when I looked back, when I was sitting in the middle of what felt like a failure, I was able to see, I was able to go to college. I was able to go to law school. I was able to get the jobs I wanted. And so every other thing I had reached for was within my control because it was just me. And so relationships are somebody else's in there too. And I couldn't control him. So I couldn't control the outcome. (laughs) So I got an F (laughs) and I was frustrated. Yeah, F Um, for frustration. Yeah, F for frustration and failure. And so, but God took the failure and turned it into success. But one of the things I promised myself was that I would acknowledge that I didn't do it by myself. So when people see the relationship now, I'm really clear to tell the story because the story is this is what God did as a result of my submission, his submission, and including him in our relationship. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We would have gotten divorced again. Again. Wow. (laughs) Because it's hard. There's like your will, their will. And then how do we make those two things come together? And we had pain and brokenness and healing and it was, I mean, we went to counseling and the counselors looked at us and we're kind of like, I was just, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure what to yeah. do with you, right? So, wow, the professionals were the like, professionals were I don't know, I don't know about this one, <laughs> you two over here. Yeah. And I think it wow. was just the result of the fact that like, it's messy yeah. and it's like surgery. And so you got to take it slowly and you got to pick through it. And during the process, you got to be patient. And that's hard. And then after the surgery, you got to heal. And then you got to heal. And healing is the whole thing. When you're healing, you got to make sure this is bringing medical in, but mm-hmm. you got to make sure you got the proper environment, mm-hmm. the proper nutrition, proper Correct. hydration, praying. Yes. Right? All those things yes. go into the healing process, mm-hmm. not for the body. So. Mm-hmm. 